the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, I've heard it once said that David was a king who wanted to be a priest. He was a king who wanted to be a priest. Because it's almost like he would look out. He would think, I just want to be there. No, he's a king. He's got everything. And God is directing his life through that. But it's almost like he wasn't satisfied. He's like, I want to be in there. I want to be in there. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That's what I want, is to be in there to behold the beauty of the Lord. All my weakness, all my shame. To see, you know, the whole idea I'm in the throne itself and in God's presence and to inquire in His temple. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. God had liberated the Israelites from their enslavement in Egypt, bringing them through the desert wilderness out to Mount Sinai. God had revealed attributes of His holiness and goodness to the Israelites through the giving of His moral law. He gave the civil law by which they were to abide by. Now God will give them the ceremonial law, instructions on how to worship Him. We have been looking at the intricacies of the tabernacle God instructed the Israelites to build and how all of it points to Jesus. We join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 26, verse 15. Israel has entered into a relationship with God. Remember, God made three promises to Israel. By the end of Deuteronomy, you'll never want to hear me say these three promises again. But it's good because it helps you to remember as you're reading through on your own time. He made three promises. He said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. He said, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. And number three, I will be your God and you'll be my people. We'll have a relationship together. And Israel has entered into the relationship with God through the blood covenant of Exodus 24. Now, the Lord will spend the rest of Exodus explaining how that relationship works. You know, we began that journey last week by looking at the place that they're going to meet with God, and that's the tabernacle. Now, that God spends so much time giving details, very specific details, on how to worship him establishes the importance of doing worship properly. So we're going to see some of those principles here. Israel's worship on earth was to reflect the perfect worship of heaven. Thus, everything had to be made and done according to the pattern of heavenly worship and in the heavenly temple. And because the tabernacle was a pattern, the pieces and the practices, they were shadows pointing to an approaching reality. John 1.14, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, it means tabernacled. And so Jesus there, basically John is claiming that Jesus is the reality that the tabernacle pointed to. He's the substance of the shadow. And so in our study of the tabernacle, we're going to show how it points to Jesus. So if we could throw up, don't throw up, but if we could put up, put up, you know, it's funny, as a writer, they tell you about things, they call it floating body parts. You want to always uh, not do those things. So have you read a book where it says he threw up his hands? Of course, you know what that means. He put his hands up in the air, but what does it sound like? Yeah. All right, don't eat. We always say don't do that. Can we put up, number one, 
And that just to get an idea here of where we've been. So far, what we've covered in the tabernacle is we've covered the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the holy place or the most holy place. We've looked at the bread table, the table of showbread, and the golden lampstand. And we've also looked at the curtains. There's four layers of curtains that are over the roof there of the tabernacle. And so it could be get number two. And that kind of will give you like a 3D image of what the, the tabernacle itself was just the building in the middle. Outside was the court, and we're going to get into that a little bit more tonight. So the building itself, you can see the four layers of, of roofs. They were made of material. The inside one was made of mostly a white linen, but with blue and scarlet and purple interwoven inside. And it had pictures of cherubims inside. When you were a priest and you walked into that holy place, that first room, the idea was you were in the throne room of heaven. And so, of course, you wouldn't go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was because that meant you need to be replaced. So you only went in there once a year on the Day of Atonement and you better make sure your heart was right with God because God's very presence, his Shekinah glory, dwelt in the Holy of Holies. So they would go and do their work. That first curtain would be their roof. But then on the outside, the nation of Israel would see largely a red roof. The ram skins dyed red. And then it would be covered up by two more layers, which were the... No, I'm sorry, it was was the goat skin was the second layer, and that was covered by the ram skins dyed red. And then the last covering was the badger skins. So that was the roof. Now, when we get to Exodus 26, 15, we move now to the frame of the building. So if you, you're going to see some of those pillars on the outside, but on the inside, we're going to learn about how the building was framed. So chapter 26, verse 15. And you shall make boards for the tabernacle. The word boards there actually means frame. So these are the frames of the building. You shall make frames for the tabernacle of shittim wood standing up. Ten cubits shall be the length of the board, and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one board. So a cubit, remember, was from your middle finger to your kind of the point of your elbow or the inside of your elbow. On average, depending upon how long-armed you are, it would be different. But on average, it was about a foot and a half. So... These boards were about 15 feet tall and a little bit over two feet wide. Now it mentions in verse 17, two tenons shall there be in the one board set in order one against the other. Whenever you see that phrase, one against the other, it means one on one side and one on the other side. So on opposite sides, that's what against means. So on opposite sides, thus shall you make for all the boards of the tabernacle. The tenons are like Legos. So the tenons are the parts where they would snap into. Tenons are the parts that would snap into the sections, the sockets, which we'll read about shortly. So the idea is you have this board. It's not hugely wide. It's more tall than wide. It's only about two feet And they would snap into these sockets, and that would be one of the things that would hold them in place. And there'd be a ton of them. The tenons were like these Lego-like projections on each side of each frame. They would snap into the silver sockets, which we'll read about in a second. Verse 18, you shall make the boards for the tabernacle, 20 frames, 20 boards on the south side. And you shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards. So two sockets per board. So you'd have two sockets on the bottom, two sockets on the top, and that's how they would snap in. And that would give them a little bit of a sturdiness, okay? So he mentions here, we keep going. It says uh, 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards. I'm in verse 19. Two sockets under one board for his two tenons and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, there shall be the same length, 20 boards, 20 frames. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. And for the side of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six boards. So it was a rectangular building. If we could throw up number one again, uh, and I'm sorry, not number one, number two. 
So right there, you've got number two. You see how it's a rectangular building. So the north and the south side were the longer sides. The west side is like the back end. So that's the side we're looking at right now. So for the west side, where were we at? We are in verse 22. For the west side of the tabernacle, you shall make six frames. So it was much less. And two boards shall you make for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides. The phrase there, the corners, it means the connecting points. So these would be for the connecting point where the north and south sides would meet with the west side. And these, it says here, would be a little bit different. They shall be coupled together beneath. And that means that there was a ring and a bar there to provide sturdiness. They would snap into place and that would provide, you know, instead of, you know, having a thing that would fall this way and, or that way, the west wall would with the couple of couplings there would have reinforcements to keep it going. So they shall be coupled together beneath and they shall be coupled together above the head of it unto one ring. Thus shall it be for them both, for they shall be for the two corners. And they shall be eight boards, so with the two cornerings with the six, that's where you get the eight. Everybody okay with me so far? All right. And their sockets of silver, total Two for each frame, 16 sockets, two under one board and two sockets under another board. Now, they needed more reinforcement. So verse 26 lists more reinforcement to keep it going. And you shall make bars of shittim wood, five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle and five boards, bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle for the two sides westward. And the middle bar in the midst of the board shall reach from end to end. So the, the bars were actually cross beams. So where you had, you know, these, these frames that would go up, you would also have these Five boards set at various places, bars, cross beams, to give it more stability. And then you had one going right through the middle that would give it like the main sturdiness there. And so it says here in verse 28, and the middle bar in the midst of the boards shall reach from end to end. And you shall overlay these frames with gold. So again, remember that all the inside looked like gold. And make their rings of gold for places for the cross beams, the bars. And you shall overlay the cross beams with gold too. And you shall rear up or cause the tabernacle to stand up according to the fashion thereof that was showed you in the mount. Now, on an interesting note, the entire foundation rested upon silver sockets. You had these gold-covered wooden frames, gold-covered wooden cross beams, but then the only different metal that's used is these silver sockets. Now, according to Exodus 38, 25 through 28, you can read that on your own time, and we're going to get to it eventually and go over that story. I don't want to do it right now. We learn that they get the silver from redemption money. Now, what's the redemption money? Well, just to give you a little bit of, of background here, remember, initially, God is choosing his priests from the firstborn of every family, right? Now, that's going to change eventually, and it's going to become the tribe of the Levites. But you still had to redeem your firstborn from the priesthood. So every family would have to pay the silver shekel to I mean, the silver silver shekel to re, to redeem their child, so they wouldn't go into the priesthood, and that was where they got the silver from. Now that's fascinating because every time we see silver in Scripture, it ties sil silver with redemption. Every time, silver always references redemption. Now it's interesting. The second mention of silver in the Bible is in Genesis 20. Why don't you turn over there with me? And you remember the story. Abraham goes to the Philistine city of Gerar, and when he gets there, his wife is she's 80 years old, or however, and she's pretty up there. She might be 90 actually at this point, and but she's still a knockout. And so 
Abraham says, listen, if they find out you're my wife, they will kill me so they can take you. So tell everybody you're my sister. So she does. And then Abimelech, a good man, takes her into his harem. And a 90-year-old woman without any type of husband is usually lacking protection. So he's actually being an honorable man by doing that. But it puts her in a very awkward spot because she's married. (laughs) So while he's doing that, he hasn't touched her. And the, the Lord gives a dream to Abimelech, and he says, Abimelech, you're a dead man. And he's like, what did I do? You know, and he's like, you got another man's wife in your harem. And he's like, well, I didn't know that. And the Lord says, I know you didn't know that, which is why I haven't done anything yet. So restore the man to his wife. Now, I'm restore the, the, the wife to the man. Well, he calls Abraham in, and he's pretty hot, as you can imagine. Why did you lie to me? I've never been bad to you. Why did you do that? And Abraham finally confesses, because I thought you'd see how beautiful she was and that someone here would kill me. Now, he's obviously insulted. He's like, why would any of my people have given you the impression we'd do that? But it was Abraham's fear that was driving him. So anyway, look down here in verse 14. He forgives Abraham, and it says, Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him to him, Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Live wherever it pleases you. But unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of what? Silver. Behold, he is to you a covering of the eyes unto all that are with you and with everyone else. And thus she was reproved, or literally it means justified. She was redeemed. So the idea was is this was going to look really bad on Abraham and Sarah. And so he, to take away that reproach and that shame, he gives Abraham a thousand pieces of silver as redemption money, so no one will think there's any ill will that Abimelech has toward them. So no one will mistreat them or think ill of them. Now that's fascinating because, again, we saw, I mentioned earlier, that it's always tied to redemption. Abimelech gave a thousand pieces of silver to Abraham as redemption money to prove he'd forgiven them for their crime. Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 with me. Remember, our goal is to see how this points to Jesus. He says, know you not that you are the what? The temp, which is just another word for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was just a tent that could be moved around. The temple eventually was in one place. You are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. Keep that in mind. And then let's go over to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. And here it says in verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, or perishable things, things that fade away, like silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, we were redeemed not with silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And that redemption is an anchor, a sturdy foundation for our relationship with God. See, we know we have a relationship with God, not based on our own works, our own righteousness, but it's based upon the redemption we have in Christ, right? Jesus is that socket that we connect into as the temple of God, and we can know for sure that we've been redeemed. When we worship, we need to stand on the promise of Christ's redemption. Love that song, Anchor. We sing it because we have this hope we have as an anchor for our soul. It comes from Hebrews, as so much of many of the things we learn about are pointing forward. We see the fulfillment in Hebrews. It explains it. This hope we have as an anchor for our soul. He's our socket. We're the frame, but he's the socket that redeems us. We need to stand on, his, on the promise of Christ's redemption when we worship because he has brought us near to God and he never fails. Amen? You never thought you'd get that much out of the boards. Well, next we find in chapter 26, back in Exodus, We're going to look at the two veils, or these are actually just more curtains. In verse 31 of chapter 26, 
It says, and you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work with cherubim shall it be made. And you shall hang it upon the four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. So it's hard to see in there, but the veil is hanging upon four pillars. And that's all that separates you from the holy of holies and the holy place. So these four pillars it mentions here in verse 32, on those would be hung, it says, a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. So the same material that was the, the first layer of roof on the inside was made. The word veil actually just means a shielding curtain. So it was made just like the first curtain, and that would be the thing that would divide between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. You would have, can you put up number one? You'd be in the holy place working as a priest, and that line there would just be a veil. It would be, be a curtain. So that would be all that separates you from the very presence of God and the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. And it would hang upon these four on hooks there that they would drape. The word hook just means they would drape upon them, upon the four sockets of silver. So, and you shall hang or drape up the veil, verse 33, under the tachets. The tachets were just clasps that you may bring in thither within the veil, the Ark of the Testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And then you shall put the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Testimony in the most holy place. If you want to find out more about that and how that points to Jesus, you got to get the CD from last week, verse 35. And you shall set the table outside the veil. So in the holy place, the table of showbread will go there. And it says also the candlestick opposite of the table over against always means opposite. So the opposite side is where the lampstand is toward the south. And you shall put the table on the north side. Then there's another curtain. So that was the inner curtain. As I said, that curtain would hang upon four columns of wood, and this would immerse the priests completely in the likeness of the heavenly scene while they served in the tent. But it would also serve as protection by reminding them to never enter into the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. Now on the outside, so there was no door to go in and out. It would just be a curtain that you'd push aside and you'd go in, and then hopefully you didn't mistakenly push the other curtain aside because then you didn't come out. So here he mentions that this outer veil, it says in verse 36, and you shall make a hanging or a drapery screen is what it means for the door of the tent, the opening or the entrance of the tent of blue and of purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework. And you shall make for the hanging five pillars of shittim wood and overlay them with gold and the hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five sockets of, interesting, this is the first mention of brass for them. We saw brass one other time and it was on the very outside of the roof. I'll explain why later. So far though, as we understand it, this outer layer would be similar to the inside layer, except no angels would be sewed into it. It just says it'd be fancy needlework, but there'd be no angels. So the idea is on the outside, what you would see is the colors, but not the angels because you're not in the throne room anymore. Okay. Does that make sense? All right. Seems like most people are still awake. Now this would remind Israel that although the priests could go into the holy place, they could not. God must be kept at a distance for the relationship to be safe. Now, how do these point to Jesus? Well, turn with me to Matthew 27. We're going to look at verses 50 and 51. We did not learn about how thick these veils were, and we don't know how thick they were. When Herod rebuilt the, the temple in Jesus's day, those curtains were four inches thick, very thick. So this is kind of cool. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost and finally accomplishing all for our sins. Verse 51 says, and behold, or check this out. This is what happened 
the moment he died. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Not even the rocks could stay in one piece. You know, it's almost like the Lord said that through Jesus' death, it's he tore the thing in half. Notice it says from top to bottom. The other thing about this, it was incredibly high. This thing reached probably higher than our roof here in the rebuilt temple that Herod had. Four inches thick, and it says it tore from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the very rocks tore in half. Through Jesus' death, God tore the veil, declaring that the way is no longer barred. And if we come by faith in Christ and his atoning death on the cross, we don't have to stay at a distance any longer. And how our worship should reflect this gratefulness. See, we should enter in and hold nothing back. Our passion is like David and Mary and Paul, who David, who remember he cried out and he said, you know, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after. What? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know, God answered that prayer for David. Not that maybe the way he thought, but David was actually able to enter into the holy place to eat the bread. God answered that prayer. You know, I've heard it once said that David was a king who wanted to be a priest. He was a king who wanted to be a priest because it's almost like he would look out and he would think, I just want to be there. You know, I mean, he's a king. He's got everything. He's, and God is directing his life through that, but he just, it's almost like he wasn't satisfied. He's like, I want to be in there. I want to be in there. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That's what I want, is to be in there, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to see, you know, the the whole idea I'm in the throne itself and in God's presence and to inquire in his temple. He longed for that. God answered that prayer in a sense. Mary, of course, sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? That's what she wanted, just to sit there with the Lord. She could have helped her sister, but the idea was, is that I don't know how much longer I'm going to get to hang out with Jesus here. And not that it's bad to help out. The point was, is that at that point, there was something more necessary. And then Paul himself crying out, saying, this one thing I do, that I may know him, right? That's what it comes down to, knowing him. To know him, because now we can. Now there's nothing that holds us back. That's why in the very Hebrews 10, I keep referring back to it, he says, let us enter in. Don't stay out, come in. You know, here you have in the book of Hebrews, you have these these Jewish Christians who have been beaten down and discouraged and, and abandoned by their people. And they're thinking, maybe we should just go back to Judaism. And Paul's going, no, don't go back, go deeper in. And there's the challenge at times, even in our culture, in our world, where they come at us and just give up. You know, why bother? And there's times when you look out there and you just think, dear God, why? Why even try? It's a mess. How are we going to overcome all this? And the Lord would say in that moment, enter in, enter in, come deeper than you ever have, come closer than you ever have before, because you can. I'm God Almighty, and I've torn the veil, and I've made the way for you to come. Don't stay away. Enter in. You know, I think of how many times I've settled for coming to the door, not entering in. The Bible says that we're a kingdom of priests now, right? There is no, we believe in... We believe as Christians that the Bible teaches a doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, that there is no priesthood between a laity. There is no laity. We are all a kingdom of priests unto our God. The Bible says you are a chosen generation, a royal what? Priesthood, a holy nation. The book of Revelation chapter one, you are a king. It says king, he has made us kings and priests unto our God. But literally it means we are a kingdom of priests unto our God. We don't have to stay out. We don't have to keep a distance. We can enter in, not even just to the holy place, but to the very holy of holies where God is himself because Christ has made us righteous and we are accepted. Isn't that awesome? The veil is torn. Every veil is torn. The tabernacle and all the beautifully crafted objects in it were just a shadow of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our redemption, our way to go to God. 
Whereas there was a giant veil blocking people from entering into God's presence, we can come boldly to God's throne room and not be turned away because Jesus washed us clean in His blood, satisfying the righteous wrath of God. No longer do we have to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice to come worship God. Jesus completed His work and gave us access to God the Father. How amazing! How thankful we can be to Jesus for all He has done for us. While we are in this time of a global pandemic, do not be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.